This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a broadcast hangout with Simon Holly, where Simon was talking about how to build a church on a prophetic foundation. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that hangout. You can find the full notes on everything that Simon had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 68. So here is Simon Holly. It really began with us as we just reading the scriptures and seeing... For us as a community, what well, the Lord, what type of church we wanted to build, and what we felt God calling us to build, and I think you know that the verses in one Corinthians fourteen, I think it is, where Paul um, uh, talks about unbelievers would come amongst you, and the people would be prophesying, the secrets of their hearts would be revealed, uh, and they would fall on their knees and say, "Surely God is among you." And we just realised that we were just a million miles away from that. Um, and and yet at the same time realizing that that actually is in very much in the heart of God that um, yes we're to present a clear message of the gospel but it's to be accompanied with signs and wonders and part of that is prophetic revelation um, both for inside the church and also for those outside the church and you see that right the way through Acts um, in fact right the way through Scripture you know Moses cried out didn't he I wish that all God's people would prophesy um, Jesus said my sheep hear my voice something about hearing the voice of God is central um, to uh, the community that God wants to build. And, and so we, we had this passion, which has kind of grown over years and, and have seen um, the Lord really help us to accelerate on this, and both uh, for inside our community and, and also outside. And just a couple of stories, uh, was once one of our guys was out on the streets and he was praying for a lady, um, uh, it was a couple, um, and he prayed for the, the the, uh, they prayed for the, the lady, and um, I think she had a knee injury or something. Anyway, they prayed for her, and her knee was was healed. Um, but she had a, a, a boyfriend or a friend who was kind of uh, fairly sceptical and mocking. Um, I think said he was an atheist, said it, you know, wasn't sure it was uh, what was going on or that he believed it. And so uh, my friend asked him, would you like me to, to pray for you? And he, he said, sure. Um, but there was nothing in particular wrong with him. So, uh, But um, my friend just began to prophesy of him and as he did he he uh, um just uh, just kind of prayed and prophesied and anyway thought nothing of it a few weeks later i think it was he bumps into the guy again in town and the guy um uh says to him do you, um he says do you remember me he said yeah i mean yeah yeah and he said do you remember what you said and he said ah oh, not not really and uh this this guy said uh, you said to me that i would get knocked down but i would get back up again and um, about a week after I saw you, I got hit by the X5 bus, which is like a massive bus that goes from Bedford to Cambridge. I got hit by the bus and I was knocked to the floor, but I got up again completely unhurt. Um, and you said that that's what would happen. And my friend said, wow. He said, you know, do you, do you want me to prophesy over you again? And the guy's like, no. <laughs> so it clearly had rattled his cage as the kind of, this thing had been brought into it, brought into his life. And we see numbers of people impacted over the years by prophetic revelation. Even, even last week on alpha, um, as somebody brought, brought a word of knowledge, um, for somebody and said, I, I see you 
um, does, the, does the, 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 the term motorbikes mean anything to you? There's something significant about motorbikes. And this uh, um, guy said, it does, but tell me more. And just began to prophesy and says, anyway, this guy um, had an absolute passion for motorbikes. At one point, I'd owned, I think, over 250 motorbikes at the same time. And it was just a phenomenally accurate word, which actually he'd already become a believer a few weeks earlier, but just cemented to him that God is alive and, and moving. And, and so um, this is a hugely passionate um, area for me. Um, and I think uh, kind of one of the early stories for me as well, realizing that the Lord was particularly calling me to develop this area, not just for our church, but for others. I, was, I was, uh, went to the Brighton Leaders Conference and uh, I, I don't know if you've ever done this at a conference. I arrived at the session late and I, I walked into the session. I was late and kind of snuck down and uh, kind of snuck in. You know, you kind of walk kind of slightly bowed, bent down. Don't you? I don't know why you think people can't see you if you do that. But so I kind of snuck in um, and, and didn't really look where I was sitting, but sat down. And as I sat down, um, I noticed that I had uh, Ginny. Many of you will know Ginny, who's a, 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 a prophetess from uh, lives uh, up in Sheffield and um, she was behind me and I had Phil Wilthier, major, another major prophet from New Frontiers on one side and Julian Adams, many of you will know Julian, uh, on the other side. And I was like, I didn't even look where I was sitting and, and there they were kind of all a few seats away from me. I was like, Lord, you know, what, am I, what are you saying? I've got any, I'd make sure I hadn't got any unconfessed sin, you know. <laughs> um, and immediately I felt the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm surrounding you with prophets. And I said, why, Lord? And he said, because they need you and you need them. And I really felt in that that there was something of a, a commission for me personally, which is one of the reasons why I felt this is important uh, this evening for me to be talking on, on this. Um, and, you know, prophets in, in our communities in church in general have been often rejected, misunderstood, labeled by those in authority. Many prophetic people actually don't even aren't even part of churches anymore. They kind of got ejected or rejected themselves from churches. And, and actually, as leaders, and, and I know I'm talking to many church leaders, um, part of our job is to create the types of communities where prophets and prophetic people can survive, not only survive, but can thrive and bring all that they bring into the body of Christ. And, and I've really over the years had to learn how to work because they, they see and do things that, that don't necessarily come naturally to me. I remember back in the early days when some of the prophets would, you know, come and say, well, they see angels. And I mean, I've never seen an an angel. I'd like to, but I've, I've never seen one. Um, and they would say they would see angels in the meeting, and and I um, I thought, well, what do you do with that? So I kind of gave them a mic and let them share, you know. And they would say, you know, there's an angel over there, there's an angel at the back having a bath, and the, you know, they, <laughs> they see all these see all these things, and uh, I wasn't sure what to do with it, but I kind of let them have the back. But what I noticed was as they brought these words, that actually it it just created cynicism in lots of people. That people it didn't really in the prophetic people it really raised faith, but in the church as a wider body. It didn't really do that at all. And so I thought, well, that's no good. So, so I'd stop letting them share that kind of stuff because it really wasn't helping the meeting. Um, uh, but I didn't really feel comfortable with that either because I thought, well, they must be seeing them for a reason. This is a gift to the gift to them and a gift to us, but what do, what do we do with it? And then I heard somebody else speak on it and how um, they handled it and um, got, some, got some wisdom on it. And, and actually to use the information rather than actually um, – uh, kind of speaking out. And so I began to do that. And so I, I've got numbers of people now who see 
um, angels in our meetings, and they just come and tell me, and I ask them to ask, Lord, what, what's the significance? And, and we've had just numbers of times where we've been able to partner with that. And what I would do is I'll just use the information. So I'll just say, okay, they'll come and say, oh, right, there's an angel behind that, standing behind that person over there. And I'll use, you know, all those numbers of angels over in that side of the room. I remember just a few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago, sorry, there was one of our prophetic people came and said, there's a whole host of angels over that side of the room. But instead of getting them to say it, what I did said, okay, do you know what? The Holy Spirit is just moving over that side of the room. And I asked, I'd asked the prophetic person, what, what, is, what does it mean? And they said, I feel like it's God pouring out gifts of prophecy. When I've seen this angel before, it's all, there's always, these angels before, it's always associated with prophecy. I feel like God's, and so I just said, Guys, from the front, I said, guys, there's, um, there's, there's, the Holy Spirit is moving over that side of the room and he's pouring out gifts of prophecy. And it was an incredibly powerful encounter that people had. And the release of gifts in that moment was unlike anything we'd seen before. And so it's part of us as leaders to use the information and to steer these things, to value the gift and to shape cultures that can actually cope with the, the level of revelation because it is outside of a lot of people's box. And, and that's partly um, some of the things I'd like to talk about. How do, we, how do we do that? What does that look like? So kind of um, first thing I think is we need to create a, a, a theological framework for it. Um, most churches are led by pastors and teachers. And, and pastors really, they're asking questions about how's the prophetic going to affect the community? How's, how do we keep this safe? How do we stop people getting hurt? Um, Teachers are going to be asking questions about, is it biblical? How do we um, make sure it's, we stay biblically true? How do we stop their revelation coming in prophetically? That, that takes us out from the kind of main and plane of Scripture. And um, both of these are incredibly valid. So there's a few things that, that I think need to be established as part of that. First is recognizing that the, the prophets are people and not activities. And the, the danger can we, be can we can we can end up valuing prophecy but not prophets and actually – um, it's recognizing that God has given these people as gifts to the church and that they do have a part to play, just as teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostolic gifts have a part to play, that prophets have a part to play, and prophetic people have a part to play in communities. And, um, and it's recognizing that and establishing that and believing that in our own hearts, that we need this gift in the church. That's got to be the first thing. Second thing, I think, is recognizing that prophets often work best in community with other prophets, it, uh, even in the testing that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he says that the, the, the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophets. And, um, and so there's something about community. And you see it right the way through Scripture. You know, Elisha with his band of prophets, Samuel um, uh, in the, the groups of uh, prophets that were, were connected with him in Acts. It says the prophets and teachers. There's this corporate thing that's, that keeps the safety. And so I, I'm whenever I connect with uh, prophetic people, I'm always encouraging them to get in community with other other prophets because that actually great, creates a place of learning and of safety together, um, where they can help and sharpen each other other gifts. But but the other reality is that prophets need other gifts. They don't just need a gifts that look like them. They need other gifts, gifts to balance them, gifts that they can balance. And um, and so we've really learned that as a, as a team. And I'll talk about that a little bit bit more. Um, and then uh, fourthly, recognizing that pro- prophets help to str- strategically shape the, the church. Um, and uh, some people don't believe that. And I think theologically we have to get to that place that we realize that actually God's given this gift to help shape churches and give direct. I mean, I've even heard of a, of a church as part of our stream, part of our, our movement that, that, that doesn't believe that there's directional prophecy today. Well, that they're never going to establish a, a ministry or a use of that gift without believing that it's just not going to fly. 
So it's learning how to establish this, but also the fundamental belief that God uses um, uh, prophetic people and prophecy to direct us, both individually and corporately. Um, so that would be the kind of the, the frame, some of the framework I think is important. Second thing is, I think, um, is to reevaluate our view of the prophet, prophetic people, of the prophetic and prophets, and to really look into our own hearts. Because I think you'll find often that there's a lot of cynicism that's developed over the years. Um, and we've got to kill those stereotypes. You know, prophets are all loners or weirdos. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, you know, that kind of that kind of feeling. And to be honest, you know, I've known as many weird pastors as I have prophets. And I've seen as many teachers split churches as I have prophets. And so I think prophets get an unfair rap um, in terms of their gift and they're un unfairly caricatured. And we just got to remove that kind of thinking and language because people just won't stick around and listen to that. Um, no gift will, you know, and I think we've come a long way with evangelists and many, for many years evangelists were, were pretty much operating outside the church. We've come a long way in valuing that gift and bringing it in. But it's time to do the same with, with prophets and prophetic people and to really value and to embrace that gift. So killing those stereotypes, killing that language, killing the jokes, all those kind of things is going to, are going to be key. Um, I think understanding the difference between prophecy and prophets as well and helping people to understand that, that one's an activity, you know, that, that uh, one, it's the 1 Corinthians 14, 1, uh, um, I, I follow the way of love, eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, that, ev that especially that you may prophesy. There's a, there's a blanket gift that God has released into the church that, that actually I think everyone can have. Everyone, my sheep hear my voice, everyone should be able to prophesy to some level. But but at the other end, there's Ephesians 4, where, where Paul talks about, you know, Christ gave his apostles and prophets to the church and along with other gifts. There's established, um, recognized ministries as well, um, where there's a credibility, there's a longevity, there's a weight to the words. And there's a whole spectrum in the church from prophecy, uh, which the youngest child to do through to the prophets, um, which are operate within churches and also translocally. And it's recognizing and understanding that. Um, and the other thing is valuing uh, the people, not just their contributions. And I've got numbers of prophet friends who, honestly, uh, one of their battles would be that they just feel used for their gift. They feel like people want to want their gift, they want their contribution, uh, but not really interested beyond that. That the only contact they get sometimes from people is if they want a word. And while they can have hearts that want to serve, after all, that gets a little bit old. Because fundamentally, we're called to love one another. We're called to community. We're called to fellowship. We're called to the good times and the bad. And and prophets are people like anybody else, and they want that kind of friendship and companionship, and people who stand with them, and not just people who want to know them when they need a word from God. And so it's actually valuing them as people, listening to their story, listening to their struggles and pains. It's really really key. So I think there's a reevaluation that be the, the second thing. Um, the the, and, and I think part of that is deciding as leaders, what do we want to build? I mean, I said our story. So it started with us as, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, I forget the verse 25. Um, I think it is where, where it says um, uh, unbelievers will come amongst you and the secrets of their hearts will be revealed as you prophesy. And they'll say, surely God is among you. And we decided that's what we were going after. That's what we wanted. And that probably leads on to the, the third point, which is this. You've got to start praying for increase and you've got to step out in faith. And that's where we began once we got this revelation of this is the type of community we want to build, this is what we want to see. Yet we've heard of the prophetic excesses and the prophetic abuses in the past, but the, 
the opposite of abuse is not no use, it's right use. And so it's coming back to the scriptures again and saying, what's the right use of a prophecy? Yeah, there's been abuse, but there's been abuse of every gift. So what's the right use of this gift? And coming back to that place. And so we just began to pray. We began to cry out to God and say, God, you've got to give us greater revelation. You've got to give us people who can move in greater authority in your word. You've got to give us um, this revelation. And and the other thing is we just decided that we had to start to step out on it. I, we did not have the gift of the word of knowledge. So the, the gift of the word of knowledge, I believe, is information, revelation that you couldn't possibly otherwise know. Uh, it's a kind of subset of the gift of prophecy. So um, revelation would be, you know, Jesus walking along and he looks up into a tree and, and um, uh, calls down Zacchaeus. There's no way I believe that Jesus could have known the guy's name, but he calls down his name. I believe that was a word of knowledge. The woman at the well, you know, you, you, you bring your husband. Um, I've, I've got no husband. You're right. You've had five husbands. The man you're now with is not your husband. These are words of knowledge that that the Lord uses to open people's hearts, to generate faith. And we didn't have anyone with that gift. Um, and so uh, one of my kind of co-workers here and I, uh, a lady called Wendy, we just decided, look, we're just going to have to step out. So we just began to ask God for words of knowledge on a Sunday. And we just began to go for it and, and call out words of knowledge. And to be honest, in the early days, it was so much cynicism. And we were so often wrong that, you know, I could have said there's someone in this room with a head and no one would have responded, you know, it was so skeptical. But what happened is over time, um, we started to, we started to get more and more accurate. And I remember one meeting in particular where Wendy and I were at the front bringing words of knowledge and she pointed out a lady in this and she said, I see you writing. And the lady burst into tears. She'd never been at church before. It's her first time burst into tears. And she said, yeah, I'm a journalist. And I, I was watching the people and I could see what was going on. And it was this wow moment. The presence of God just filled the room. This wow moment. And what I saw, you see, was people who, it wasn't just a traveling prophet who'd come in and, and wowed us all. They'd seen Wendy grow in a gift. And they began to think, if she can grow, maybe I could grow. And, and it was a really catalytic moment for us as people began to realize that, that, um, that as as the things that we prayed for were suddenly starting to happen. This wasn't just about the touring prophet come in and wow us and then go back to America. This was homegrown. But it started with us praying for it, asking God for it, believing that that's what he wanted for the church, and then stepping out in, in faith. Um, fourth thing I think is key is to create a culture of honor and teach people to live out of their identity. Um, you know, uh, when we create a culture of honor where we, and this kind of alluded to this already, culture of honor um, Romans 12, uh, 10, honor one another above yourselves. And, and we often use this concept of grace. We give grace to each other. Um, we began to realize actually the scripture never talked about grace as going from human to human. Grace is always heaven to earth. Grace is what we have received from God. But actually this concept of honor is everywhere. I'd never heard anyone speak about it until I heard a, a message one time and then began to do my own research and realized I think it's 72 times in the New Testament the, 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 this concept of honoring one another is mentioned and and honor is that it's like it's our response to grace we recognize the grace of god on each other um we recognize god's life in each other even to the point that you know even to an unbeliever that they are created in the image of god um so even those that aren't children of god they're created in the image of god still and we honor that and so there, there is an incredibly powerful effect of honoring that and it's recognizing that and you you, you see that 
um, in the scriptures, don't you? When it, when it talks about the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. There's something about this culture of honor that draws out greatness in people. And as we do it around prophetic people, it draws out the greater gifts in them. It draws out the measure that God has put in them. As instead of putting each other down, instead of laughing, mocking, joking, we actually start to honor, to recognize, to to say, do you know what? I think you've got a gift. I think you can. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, I do it all the time with with kids, with others, um, just to recognize what I see in them and call that out. And and prophets love to live in this environment because actually that's what the prophetic gift often does. It calls out what God only sees, you know. And that's what what the Lord spoke to Samuel, wasn't it? That you know, don't look with human eyes. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking. At, he saw David, but he, he saw him not as, as Samuel saw him. He saw his heart, um, and it, and it's and that's that that concept, and it's recognizing that because as we do that, we start to see. Um, and we start to be able to tolerate, not only tolerate, but to celebrate the different gifts. And the prophets can, can celebrate the evangelists because they bring something different. And the evangelists can celebrate the pastor teachers because they bring something different. And it's as we start to do this, that all the gifts actually start to grow. And when we start to be able to deal with conflict differently, um, which is often where people, you know, uh, where these gift, the gifts start to fall apart is where conflict's not dealt with health, healthily. Um, you know, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, when they fell out, fell out over John Mark, um, my friend Phil Wilthy says he thinks that that's actually just two different gifts, seeing the same guy differently. John Mark had, had let Paul and Barnabas down, and, and Paul with his apostolic gifts is like, I need someone who's got my back. I need someone who's, who's going to be behind us on this next trip. It's dangerous. I, I haven't got time to have a team member falling apart. But John, but Barnabas is like, this guy, I can see something in this guy. I, I, I can see, just give him another chance. And, and actually, Paul and Barnabas fell out. Maybe they didn't need him. Maybe, maybe it was just two different gifts, seeing someone from different um, aspects. Um, recognizing that, I, th- I think, is key. Um, and then helping, once we live out of this culture, we help people to live out of their identity, their identity in Christ, but also their identity out of the gifts that he's given them. Creating, creating this kind of place is key. A fifth thing is... Um, uh, I think creating a culture that's uh, safe to take risks, um, an atmosphere, because the supernatural gifts are always involving risk. You know, John Wimber said faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and I think it's, uh, that's, that's very true. And so when we create, when we want to move out in any of the gifts, actually, the spirit, there's always risk involved. But we are ad- we are risk averse as people. Um and as adults, we're risk averse. And so we have to recognize, we have to create communities and cultures where not, there's not space for recklessness. We're not talking about recklessness, but we are talking about space for risk. Um, and, you know, I found as a leader that modeling that is key. Um, when we first started to go for healing, I remember one Sunday really um, going and saying to the church, come on, let's pray for the sick on the streets. Let's pray for the sick in our workplaces. Well, the following day after preaching like that, I was in the, walking down the high street and I saw this lady with a, cri- a really crippling limp, young lady as well. You know, um, it was just, you know, just thought she's going to live the rest of her life. And I was actually moved almost to tears just seeing how bad her limp was and the suffering that she was under. Anyway, um, I really felt my heart starting to pound. My shirt was kind of, you know, vibrating with my pounding heart and I was sweating and thinking, I really knew the Holy Spirit was kind of calling me to go and approach her and, and say, you know, would she like me to to pray for her? But I just totally bottled it. And after a while, she kind of wandered off, and and it was the moment was gone. 
anyway, the next Sunday I was preaching again. And I thought, I just can't. I just don't know if I can stand up again and do this without. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to tell people. And I was just totally honest and just said, you know what, guys, I told you to do this last Sunday. I had an opportunity on the Monday and I didn't do it. I totally blew it. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm growing in faith. I'm, I'm, I'm often riddled with fear. I'm growing in courage. But I want us to be the type of community where we can admit these things and get up and have another go. I mean, I got a standing ovation. I mean, it was like I, I, they didn't celebrate as much as when I told some of my good stories, you know. But I think what it does is it creates a culture where people think, you know, what? we're all in the same boat. We're all scared. We're, we're all having a go. We're all taking risk. We all get it wrong and blow it and miss it. But actually, God's grace covers us and we're in this together. And it just began to create a community. I think that story and others began to create a place where, uh, people could take risks and not be afraid to fail and not be afraid to get it wrong. And um, obviously there needs to be wisdom around that. Uh, there needs to be, uh, uh, it needs to, we need to nurture the gifts and create a safe environment for that because these are powerful things. Um, but actually creating that kind of community is, is key. And, you know, it's funny on our uh, school, we have a school training for supernatural ministry and um, often the guys will, you know, they'll tell a story, for example, you know, they'll say, oh, I, I went into the baker and I, and I felt like God told me he had a bad back. So I said to him, have you got a bad back? And, uh, and he said, no, nothing wrong with my back. You know, my back's never been stronger. You know, I've got the back of an ox, you know. And I, so it was pretty wrong, and I just kind of walked out of there. And, and all the GSM students would stand to their feet and applaud. You know, amazing. Um, and you look at the guests, and they're like, what is this? Why are we applauding a wrong word of knowledge? But the reality is we're not applauding a wrong word of knowledge. We're, we're applauding courage because they had a go. They got up and they had a go, and they, they, it didn't work that time. But if they hadn't had a go, it would never work. You know, It will never work. And so it's that reality um, is key. So creating that culture where it's safe to take risks, um, where you can encourage people. You know, Many churches uh, are, are just too boring. They're just too predictable for prophetic people to thrive. And actually, we've got to create space in our, in our churches where there's places for, for risk. You know, what kind of things that stretch people? You know, we've done uh, treasure hunting, which you can look up before. Um, we do prophetic booths at our conferences where, you know, you get conference delegates and our prophetic people will prophesy over them. We've got um, people interpreting dreams out on the streets. You know, unbelievers love to have their dreams interpreted. And um, it's, it's high risk, but, you know, we, we, we have just numbers of areas and spaces within our community, things that we do that just stretch prophetic people and, and, and move them on. And, and I found that so, so key. So often, you know, I will do live coaching. So I'll get some prophetic people to bring um, prophesy over people in the church, literally stand them up and prophesy over them. And sometimes, you know, that, and we've had an illustration will be someone stood someone up and said, oh, you know, I just see a picture of a waterfall and it's the, the showers of God's love or something like that. And I will stop them and say, that's great give me something you couldn't possibly know. <laughs> and I'm doing it live in front of the whole church. And, and, you know, the church laughs and the individual, they start laughs and I love the, the prophet doesn't laugh. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, the person doesn't laugh, but it's that reality of just creating a space where it's okay to take a risk. And, and it's amazing actually, when you do that, that often they've, they've got a word and, and they bring it, which they were too scared to bring. And it is bang on. And we've seen that again and again and again. And, you know, so I, where I started was, you know, Paul's uh, uh, um, appeal to the Corinthians that you'll prophesy and unbelievers will be there. I mean, we've seen that numbers of times. You know, this one story from a few years ago, one of our guys um, called out a lady and um, 
She'd never been to church before. He, he stood her up and he, and he said, I see the word um, Narnia and, uh, and the name of the, um, the girl, Lucy. And the girl who stood up said, that's my name. And then he just began to prophesy over her. And when he'd finished, she didn't sit down. She fell into her mother's arms. She'd never been to church before. She came with her mother, I think. Um, she fell into her mother's arms. She was just bawling her eyes out because the secrets of her heart had been revealed. We had another fun one. Um, one of our guys was, I think it was an Alpha course, and we have a prophecy night as part of Alpha. I've been surprised at how many churches don't do that. If you don't do that, I would say, if you're doing an Alpha course, have a prophecy night. Do the normal teaching, but at the end, get some prophetic people. People who have not been in the room, don't know any of the people, and get them to prophesy over you. I mean, just that is where we see so, so many significant words that are just like jaw-dropping, because God loves to turn up and show his glory. And often through the through prophecy, and so um, this guy had and the, and the word was um, he had to say was uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, I "Want you to pick that guy out, and I want you to say to him, all right, mate.'" And and uh, the guy was like, "I can't, I can't do that. You've got to give me a bit more than all right, mate." And and the Lord really wouldn't give him any more. And so he's like, "Okay." So anyway, he stands up and and he says to the guy, uh, "God says to you, all right, mate." And that was it. And then we kind of moved on. It was all a little bit awkward. Anyway. Uh, I think at the end of it, the the guy um, was t- talking to a friend, this guy that he picked out and said, uh, he said, I was praying this week. I was talking to God this week and he said, I, don't, I said, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know if I should pray. Can I just talk to you like I talk to my friends? How do I, how do I even talk? I don't know if I've got, I've got this religious, religious language. How do I talk to you? And and out of that, um, uh, he got that word at Alpha, all right, mate. And just, you know, as the Lord just beautifully spoke to him in his own language, in his own kind of dialect and, and communicated with him. So creating a culture that takes risks. Sixth, um, create and develop team. So prophetic people need each other. And you've got to create context for that to gather that. It's critical if you're a senior leader that you gather with them, um, at least for a season, season, to value their gift, to pray with them, to get filled with the spirit together. Um, and just to create, create a context for that. And then create a context for developing. Invest in people because people grow when you develop them when you disciple them, when you inspire them, when you say, hey, I met this other guy in this other church, you should get with him. You know, that when they when you value that, people will just grow in that environment. So creating some kind of prophetic team. And then, and then um, seventhly, um, create a place where you don't, you model to the church that you, you're leading out of. You know when Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. We've got to lead our churches like that. And so you've got to create pathways for prophetic stuff to come into your senior leadership team and for you to act on it, to weigh it, to talk it through. And, and so, you know, we have places where prophetic people can email. We, we gather it. And once a term as elders, we will, we will cry over it. We'll discuss it. And then we, we will give um, feedback to people. And also, we will, you know, it massively changes our direction as we do that. And we lead out of that place. And I would demonstrate that to the church. So I'll often, you know, say, so you know, I'm going to just give you an example from our last gift day. We we had this really strong prophetic word about building a recording studio. Well, I mean, I tell you what, there's a shed load of things I could spend money on right now. A recording studio would not be top of my list, but God spoke and said he wanted us to build a recording studio. It was confirmed a number, a number of different ways. And so we said to church, as part of this gift days, we're going to build a recording studio because God said to build one. We, we, we really feel like this is the reason, and we, we really feel like we've heard God, the word of the Lord on this, and we're going to build a recording studio. And, it, and it's just these little things that really value the prophetic and help them to see. They realize you can't act on every single word, but when you respond like this and really seriously take it serious and, and make steps, 
uh, around this um, and around responding to his word, it creates a space where the prophetic just begins to thrive. Obviously, loads of us would be in a church planting context. And how yeah. would you go about um, not just preaching Mark 16, 17? So when Jesus says, uh, these signs will accompany those who believe. Um, yeah. How do we actually demonstrate it? How do we actually bring that power at the very beginning of a church plant? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very, that, I mean, we weren't in a church planting situation, but we were quite a small church, and we didn't have anyone who, who had words of knowledge. Um, we had, we'd seen it in other places at conferences and stuff. But we just, as I said, we just began to pray for that ourselves. And we just thought, well, if there isn't anyone, we're just going to go for it. And, and we're going to ask God for the gift and we're going to go for it. And he really met us in that place. And we now have people who have far more accurate words of knowledge than I do. But I, I kick-started something. And when like attracts like. So when people see that, A, they start to want to step out because they see you taking a risk. But B, it also attracts other people who want the same kind of community and want the same kind of thing. So I would say if you've got no one else who can step out in the gift and you're the leading, leading a small church plant, then you've just got to step out. You've got to ask God for the grace and go for it. And, and fundamentally, I believe that, you know, the Lord said, you know, through Moses, I wish that all God's people have prophesied. So I think everyone actually can get words of knowledge to some level. Obviously, there will be some who just get, you know, phenomenal um, and a consistency and an accuracy that is beyond others but i think everyone can can have a go certainly as you start and and like will attract like and it will grow from there i think and do you think sharing god's stories so so even like little victories or little words of knowledge or or, or some kind of little encouragements do, do you think that's really important in actually encouraging other people and when they see you do it and they think maybe oh well if they can do it then i can do it how important is was for you at the very beginning just sharing those things yeah sharing stories of of successes and as i said sharing stories of failures sharing stories where you stepped out and it didn't work and also sharing stories of where it did and you saw you know the lord really speak to someone or the lord really heal someone as a result i think both of those we used to import lots of stories not too far from where we were but kind of the next step So we'd hear a story from other church and I would tell those stories in preaches uh, to inspire people. Um, particularly, I'd pick the ones that I felt like that's just a step beyond where we are. So I'd use those stories. So I think you can, you're, you're basically, you know, we're, you're, you're trying to model to the church what God's doing. And particularly where I heard stories from churches in similar towns and similar places to ours, I would share those stories because You know, we've all heard the stories from the healing crusade in India, and, and that's great. I know there might be some people in, from India listening to this, but do you know, you know what I mean? For us in the West, we've all heard those stories, and we kind of expect God to do that in those kind of places. Um, but the reality is when we hear stories from Europe, when we hear stories from Britain, when we hear stories from small towns in Europe or wherever, that's what makes people think, gosh, if God can do it there, he can do it anywhere. You know, he can do it here. So sharing stories from similar sized or similar places um, is key as well, I think. Yeah, brilliant. And again, because by nature, church plans start small. Have you, have you got any advice of how to create this prophetic environment without actually being overwhelming to the church plans itself? Or is there any danger of actually doing that? I, I think that I don't think as long as there's no hype, I don't think it will overwhelm. I think as long as it's kept in balance, you want obviously in a church plant situation, you're wanting all the gifts to grow. 
But I think fundamentally hearing God's voice is one of the foundational gifts. And so both for the believers in the church, you know, helping them get an understanding of that they can hear God through Scripture, but they can also hear God through other ways. It has to be weighed and tested through Scripture, but actually there's other ways that God speaks. Um, and I think that's a kind of foundational teaching that I would encourage people to get in at the early days. Um, and uh, from that you build, from that and other, other gifts, you know, can be um, expressed alongside of that as well. But, you know, teaching people to hear, and it's one of the first things we teach our kids in our in our church is how to hear God's voice, you know, how to hear him speaking into your situation, both through the scriptures, but also um, through other ways. And that, that I think is a critical um, foundation laying op- operation for any church leader. So I think it, given that context, it, I don't think it will, it will overwhelm. I think it's actually foundational. And you, you were, you were saying that actually you have to have a theological framework for prophetic people to actually thrive. And one of the questions is what are the best ways to balance prophetic words with scripture? I think it's teaching people that everything has to be tested through, through scripture. I mean, obviously, um, uh, there's other ways to test, not just scripture. Sometimes it's through, um, uh, wisdom, you know, through many advisors, um, uh, Proverbs says a man prospers. So I think it's through the wisdom gift as well, but also certainly theologically testing through things against scripture is critical. Um, but also God speaking through multiple ways. I mean, we teach people that certainly with, with, with big with big decisions, God, um, I think it says in scripture that uh, the Lord can, confirms everything through two or three witnesses. That's kind of a kind of theological framework foundation that goes right the way through scripture. So teaching people that actually, if, you know, if God's telling you to move somewhere, um, it's key that, you know, or, or do change job or something like that. I mean, certainly for me, the bigger the decision, the more I'm saying to the Lord, God, I want, I want two or three witnesses to tell. <laughs> I know, it's no good, you know, I might have had a word in the bath on Monday morning, but I'm not necessarily going to act on that. I need you to confirm that because this is a significant risk here. Um, uh, whereas other things are less risky and there's less harm if it goes wrong. And so you can take more of a risk on it. So I think it's that, it's that, it's that balance. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think it's, 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 learning, it's learning to discern the voice of God and learning um, to hear his voice. And I think that grows with experience. It grows with trial. It grows with, you know, how did Jesus get the gift uh, to know that the woman uh, had five husbands? You know, that, that's something that he, that he developed. He'd grown in. Um, he'd matured um, in his human nature to be able to do that. And I think that it's a similar way that we, we grow in our gifts as well. And, and would you ask other prophetic people, like, would you ask them to help you weigh the word or would you just go, you know, on your own with the Lord and actually kind of sort it out with him? Or would you ask? You know, no, if you I have- think, no, I think, you know, as I said in the thing, I think prophetic, I think weighing prophetic was always done in community. I think it's not, that's why prophet, prophetic people operate best in community. And I think community is the key um, uh, framework um, to help uh, the weighing of words and to make sure it's healthy. Um, and I think where you gather like-minded people who really believe that God speaks today and uh, where they weigh those together and can pray together into it and can apply wisdom to it as well, I think that really is critical for healthy weighing of, of what God's speaking and the words that he's bringing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's just to, to go back to um, almost very beginning, actually. So uh, someone was very interested that you said when you were sharing about angelic presence and you used a uh, term Holy Spirit is, is present here in this, in this part. So, mm. so they, were, they were asking, actually, you know, um, sh- should we help the prophets use that ter- terminology? Is that more kind of acceptable? How would you weigh that? I think it depends on the context. So I think in some meetings where you've got mature believers, I think it doesn't create cynicism. I think it creates the faith that it creates in prophetic people. I think on a Sunday morning, I would, in our Western, and I think also in some cultures that you could also get away with it in a public setting. But I think in a Western culture where we are on a Sunday morning, I think it, to, to mention the Holy Spirit doesn't create cynicism, but to mention the angelic tends to. And so I think that it's, it's a contextual thing, I think, that is particularly, I could see looking at and it, and so it might even vary from church to church. It might be just be our church. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I could see as they were bringing these words about there's an angel here. And I made a joke about an angel having a bath on the back. They didn't ever bring a word like that. But do you know what I mean? It just they would, have, they would see angels everywhere. And a lot of people thinking, I can't see anything. I could see in people's eyes that it was creating cynicism and not faith. And so I thought, well, the, the whole point of revelation is to create faith. That's the whole point of words of knowledge is to create faith. And so if it's doing the opposite, that's, that's not God's problem or even the prophet's problem necessarily. They're just being faithful with what they're seeing. That's our problem. But that does mean I need to apply a leadership edge to this and work out a language that will help to create that sense of faith. And we found simply by, by interposing angelic for Holy Spirit actually did that. And so people did think, gosh, you know, the Holy Spirit's wanting to move here and, wanted, and and it did create that sense of faith and great. I think that's the end result that we're looking for. So I think it is very contextual. So in the, in the light of that, actually, you know, how do you walk the line between stemming cynicism and welcoming the prophetic? So uh, were there times where actually, you know, during the public services, you would kind of say, oh, that word's not for now, or you, you know, you would rule it out. How, how does that work? Yeah, I think um, we didn't really talk about bringing prophetic on the Sundays, but I think um, in worship, we are really looking for, um, uh, yeah, this is a whole kind of other other theme, I think, that we didn't, we, I didn't kind of go down. But in worship, one of the things that I'm looking for is momentum. I'm looking for people to come into the presence of God. And so I think sometimes too many prophetic words interjected between songs can actually remove that momentum and end us, you know, either in a minute. And I've seen it done in lots of churches where you're really just the presence of God is really there. And then someone brings a word that's specific to perhaps one or two individuals. And then kind of, you break the whole, everyone kind of wakes up and <laughs> you break the whole kind of flow of where you're going. And so it's recognizing what does, is this word going to add to the momentum or is it going to take away from the momentum? Is this word right to respond to now? Is it a corporate word or is it for an individual? Um, and oft, very often, you know, so words that lead into ministry, we will push to the end of worship because once it goes into ministry, typically that's, you know, you've, you, you lose that kind of same sense of the flow that you're in. So we would push those more to the end. In fact, very often we would bring our prophetic words as a batch of kind of two or three at the end. And, and Paul says, you know, two or three uh, is a kind of good guideline. So we would use that. And we wouldn't be one of these churches that has 10 different words on a Sunday morning. I've seen that done, and I think by word five, people have forgotten what word one is, 
and and they just kind of get disorientated. So I'm looking for kind of the weighty words that are appropriate for that Sunday. Often the words are about are describing what's going on. Well, I will use that as a host. I won't let that be brought because it's no point describing, you know, I really feel like people are encountering God's glory right now. Well, if they are, they are. And if they're not, it's not going to help them to tell them that they are. If they're not, you know, so describing words, I would, I would just use that as a host. We banned the, the, the prophets would often, or the prophetic people would often call it the walk of shame if they walked to the front to bring a word and then walk back and it wasn't brought. And we banned that. So we refused to allow that term because I said, it's no shame. Your job is to tell us as hosts the word. It's our job to decide whether we're going to bring it or not, or if it's the appropriate time. So you've done your part. You've succeeded. Well done. Now it's our job. If there's any shame, it's us if we get it wrong and not allowing it to be brought when it should be or allowing it to be brought when it shouldn't. So there's no shame on, on you either way. And that really helped because uh, otherwise you can be kind of held hostage and prophetic people, you kind of get annoyed or you wouldn't let me bring my word or whatever. And actually it's helping them to see, you know what, you, you've done your part. Our job is to steer this meeting. God, you know, the Lord's given us that role now. Um, and so it's that kind of that balance, not having too many that overwhelms the people and kind of wears them out, but also having them at the right time in the flow of, in the flow of worship. I think both of those, that's a long answer to that question. That's a whole other subject. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great answer. Um, so obviously on Sunday morning, you would kind of, you know, whoever leads, leads, whoever anchors the, the service would kind of prophetic people would weigh the word, would, would bring it. But how about maybe not on Sunday morning, but if a member of a church brings a, a challenging word, or if you feel that God is calling you to give someone else a difficult word, how, how would, for instance, like Nathan did King David. So yeah. how, what is the context that you would, you would uh, do that in? Yeah, okay. I think it depends who the words to and what the word is. And so um, we, we pretty much um, ban words about what we call hatches, matches, and dispatches. So, you know, prophesying that people are going to die, get married, or going to have a baby. Typically, I mean, there are some that I would take those words from, but they would have to be fairly mature gifts that I would recognize in order to, to kind of allow those to be brought because there's just been so much damage done. Um, over the years so hatches matches and dispatches tend to be off limits but other than that definitely there are some challenging words first i would say to the prophetic person i want you to pray into this and ask the lord should you be bringing it or should you be praying about it um and so i would sometimes they've done that already sometimes they haven't thought about doing that often uh, people are certainly learning the gift of uh, learning to operate in their gift will feel like i've got to bring it because god's told it well not always the case sometimes um, it's time just to just to pray about it and just to pray into that situation. But if if they do really feel they should bring the word, then I would I would want to them to be talking it through with a leader, and then also um, uh, for that to be brought in a context where there's room for it to be wrong. So not thus saith the Lord, but this is what I felt God say to me could be wrong. I want you to weigh this word, giving freedom because sometimes people have words shoved down their throats with no doubt. No, it couldn't possibly be wrong. And that does damage because you could ultimately you could be wrong and i remember someone and then they were talking about they've been brought a word by a very significant prophetic person and um in our group of churches they've been brought this word and it it was really they were finding it really hard really really hard and it really weighed down by it and as i was talking to them i just said do you know what they could be wrong 
<laughs> and the thought had never even come into my head, which was scary, because that actually is unbiblical. You know, we, we see in part and we prophesy in part. There's a clear foundation. And so helping people to understand that, um, that no matter how measured or statured the gift, they could be wrong. And if you haven't got that in your framework, that they could be wrong, then you're in real danger of doing some major damage. So um, recognizing that it could be wrong and bringing it in that in those kind of humble ways that I want to pray into this way. If, if it's from God, he will. He'll, if you're really unsure, he'll confirm it. Talk it over with your friends, you know. Bringing words in that context very unlikely to bring um, damage, and I think it's also helping people to understand there's there's interpretation, there's there's revelation, which is what did I see? You know, I, I saw a tree growing out of your head. You know, whatever. Um, there's inter there's interpretation, and I feel like that meant that um, God is going to bring you know uh, trees represent to me. Um, wisdom and I feel like God's going to give wisdom coming out of your head or whatever it might be but there's also application then I feel that you should do this and and it's recognizing the prophetic it's critical that you get all three of those parts right and often it goes wrong where people have got a revelation that's right but the interpretation and the application is off um, and so it's recognizing that we don't go further than what God's given us if he's just given us the revelation then just give that it's good often to pray for the interpretation as well because often the prophetic person will get that interpretation um, but then perhaps even more tentatively, we should be with the application because that's often very person specific and we perhaps should let the person decide that with the Lord. We can bring it all, given it, given in a, in a humble way, in a context where they can, they can um, receive that. But helping the prophetic people see there's three parts to this word is, is key, um, would will be, be some advice. That's a, again, another long answer, but that's a key area, definitely. Brilliant. And so when you were starting out in, in, in this in this journey as a, as a church, um, how did you create environment for prophetic people to actually, you know, exercise it in a safe environment when they can get it wrong or just get some teaching on it? How, how did you go about that? Yeah. So um, we would do we would do it off of a Sunday morning. So we'd just do evenings of training evenings. Um, and then we've got a whole host of kind of fun activities that we would do as part of it. So um, one would be blindfold prophecy, where we would take a group of, say, six or seven people, and then we would blindfold one person, and then the others in the group would move around the room, and then we would stand one person behind them, and then we would say, right, okay, prophesy over the person behind you. It's hard to prophesy in a group of six if you know everybody, but when you don't know who's behind you, it's scary. You, you, you find them, but it steps them out of their comfort zone. And you re I mean, we've had some profound moments doing that, just a fun little game, which just lightens it a bit because prophecy can get very intense and people can get very uptight about it, but actually just, just lightens it up a bit. And I remember one really uh, humorous evening when we did a blindfold prophecy kind of training evening, and it was my wife actually, and, and I said to her, she was blindfolded, and I said, what, what's the word you've got? And, um, and she's so it's, I can't say it. It's just too embarrassing. I said, no, go on, say it. You know, it's fun. It's just training. She said, okay, well, the word I get is poo. And um, <laughs> I was like, okay, that is a bit awkward. So we said to the guy behind her, does that mean anything to you? And he said, well, I do actually work at a sewage works. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, it was bang on and it was funny. And just think how the Lord... You know, he just lightened the whole evening and just, you know, the fact that it was my wife that done it, you know, everyone just in, just enjoyed it, but also learned through it. Gosh, you know, sometimes we can have these kind of random things, but God can 
God can, can speak, you know. Um, so we have a number of different kind of activations like that, that that help people just kind of grow in the gift in a safe environment, test it out. Um, but then when people are ready, it is the case of getting people to bring words on Sunday so or an alpha or some other smaller context um, and to say, you know, right, okay, I want you to, to pray and ask the Lord if he's got either a word of knowledge for healing and then we pray for the sick or that's a real safe one to start with. Or kind of the step up from that is, okay, if you ask God if he's got anything to say to any individuals in the church, um, and literally we're going to stand them up and bring a word publicly. Obviously, that's a little bit more scary still and, and needs good hosting and good anchoring to make that work well. Um, the, the host needs to keep it very light, light and easy and not too uptight and, and make room because often the prophetic person will be nervous as well as the person who's been stood up. Um, and uh, people are worried about, you know, unbelievers – um, how would they find that if they're in the room? I told you, we, we normally they're the ones who get picked out and they get blown away. And we've seen numbers who come through the faith in Christ through that. Um, uh, and you ask them, you know, would you, are you okay to stand up? You know, would you, you happy to, would you rather sit down? Some of them say, oh, no, I'd rather sit down and, and receive it. That, that's fine. Um, so yeah, that's how we do it. And kind of given lots of explanation really helps. So that, that would be kind of a few different steps, a few different ways to train and develop people. Yeah, brilliant. And when you're bringing new people in, because, um, you know, some churches, uh, one of the questions is, you know, a small number of people is, you know, are always in the front, always bringing prophetic words. How, how, how would you go about bringing some more people? Because, you know, having loads of, of the same could bring a bit of cynicism. It's like, oh, not them again kind of thing. But how yeah. do you really encourage them to do it, but actually bring some new people in as well? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I would encourage the people, the people who regularly bring the words that um, I would be stretching them. So I would, those would be the ones I'd be saying, give me something that we, you couldn't possibly have known. You know, so they say, I, I feel like I've got a word of noise of someone here with a, with a bad knee. And I would say to them, okay, which knee and what gender are they? You know, so I would push them a bit. Um, so that you're stretching them. They're not just bringing the same old, I, you know, I, I see a picture of the waterfall and God loves us, you know, those kind of words. Too many of those words do just generate cynicism. So you've got to be stretching those guys because they have got it. They've got a gift or they think they've got a gift. So you've got to stretch them to see if they have and to see if, you know, and they will be encouraged by that. Um, secondly, I would encourage them to be giving it away. You know, Jesus had freely received, freely give. So encouraging them to disciple other people and to take other people with them. Um, uh, as they as they prophesy or as they go and uh, go into groups and, and prophesy, encourage them. Third thing is we do a training thing where I teach on words of knowledge, for example, how to receive a word of knowledge. It's a 15 minute teaching, which I do in, I've done in lots of churches. And at the end of it, I say, right, you guys are now the ministry. Put your hand up if you've never ever given a word of knowledge before. And and pans will go up. And I said, right, you guys are now the guys who are going to do it. So I say, I don't want anyone who's given a word before. I only want people who have never given words before. And we pray for about three minutes. And I say, right, God's going to speak to you. And I give them five ways that God gives words of knowledge. God's going to speak to you. And I want you to come up the front. I want 12 people, or depending on the size of the group, you know, I say, I want 12 people or however many. It's a smaller church, you know, 20 or 30. I want four people or five people. And we're all going to wait until they come. I mean, it's just brilliant. It's awkward. I'll just stand there and wait until they come. And, and we'll give them a round of applause as they come. I'll get them to give their words, um, and then we applaud them for their courage, even if nobody stood or they got it right, and then we pray. I mean, we've seen some phenomenal healings off the back of that. 
um, as we've just taken people who've never done it before. And, that, and when people see that, that does something both in the individual but also in the people who are watching it because they are saying, gosh, you know, you know, Moses said, I wish all God's people prophesy. They really can, you know. <laughs> um, so that, that will be a few ideas on that. That's really encouraging. And uh, uh, another question, uh, as you lent into prophetic and supernatural as, as a church, um, did you find there were any important aspects of church life that you were in danger of leaving behind? Um, no, I don't, I don't think. I think we tried to bring it through every area, so into the kids, into the youth. I feel like it's a, it should go across every area of the church. So it's made us more evangelistic um, as we've, you know, for unbelievers uh, particularly on a Sunday, um, we we were we went through a period on a Sunday where we were, you know, on one Sunday we were like, you know, we were seeker sensitive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nothing out of place, not a hair out of place, and then on another Sunday we were like kind of Holy Ghost blowout, you know, <laughs> it's just like carnage, and we just thought we just can't operate like this, and and so we we decided, okay, what is what is sun, what are Sundays for for us? This isn't everyone's answer, but what are they for us? And just reading the scriptures again, we felt, you know what? Sundays are for God to make, meet with his people, but we need to make it as accessible for unbelievers as possible. So that's what we believe Sundays are for. And, and I think it's critical that every, every leadership team decides what Sundays are for, because I've known other churches that are like that. They either go down the they either go down the seeker-sensitive route and not everyone's on board, not everyone believes that's right, or they go down the other route um, where it's just kind of only goes blow out and not everyone's happy with that. So it's, it's recognizing you've got to decide as a community what are you going to do and then go for it. And we decided Sundays have a God to meet with his people, but we'll make it as accessible as, for it as possible as unbelievers, for unbelievers. And so we expect the gifts of the Spirit on Sunday. We expect signs and wonders on a Sunday, but we do everything we can to explain it. And you know what? The number of salvations has not gone down. It's gone up. You know, so we see... We had a week seven years ago, I think seven or eight years ago, where we saw seven people saved in a week. And it was unprecedented. I'd never seen anything like it before, certainly not in our church. And I hadn't heard much of it in the UK. It was even one lady, the Spirit of God fell on her in a garden, and she phoned the church offices and said, I want to give my life to Christ. And the receptionist said, well, you could come on Sunday. And she's like, I can't wait till Sunday. <laughs> you know, so this, you know, so this was one week. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, pray for what's unusual to become usual. Well, we had a week last year where we saw 40 people come to Christ in a week. And, uh, and I realized that God is just upping the, 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 the you know, the, the, the water level. And, and actually, um, so actually going after signs and wonders, going after the prophetic has not diminished any area because we've spread it through every area. I think it should impact every area. The kids, worship, you know, the, 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 the finance team, pray over the finances. And, you know, it's, it's everything. If we believe that God's people are meant to be a supernatural people, which I believe we are, then it shouldn't affect every area and it shouldn't diminish any area. As long as you give good leadership to it and, and, and it's healthy and it's, um, explained and it's not unnecessarily weird um and, and just just an aside you know i i i i mean sometimes we have people um fall over in meetings which i know some some would be uncomfortable wouldn't wouldn't have on their sundays and that's fine for them you know i'm not criticizing anybody else but it happens and and we've realized that we want god to be able to meet with these people and make it successful as possible we explain it if that happens we say sometimes the power of god touches you people may fall maybe may fall and this is what's happening. 
And the Lord, and I was really worried about it, particularly for unbelievers. And I remember there was one, one meeting. No, we're slightly going off subject, but I remember there was one meeting where it happened, and I saw a guy who was standing right next to a lady who kind of fell as the Holy Spirit touched her. And I, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's never been before. I don't know who he is. I was, like, freaking out. And so I ran straight over to him, and I was like, <laughs> I was like You're okay. you know, before he could escape, you know, at the end of the meeting, I ran over to him. You know, it's God, you know, um, how did you find it? How was Sunday? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, it, he said it, was, it was amazing. He said, I've never seen anything like it before. He said, but there was one thing that concerned me. I was like, here we go. <laughs> the lady who fell over, he said, it's one thing that really concern me i said yeah okay what was that and he said why do people put their hands up in worship really bothered me and i just, and the lord really spoke to me through that and he just made you know what people will get offended but you don't know what they're going to get offended by and the things that you, you think they might think are weird they might not think are weird <laughs> um and i think that really helped us as i said that's the journey we've been on that i'm not criticizing anybody else's journey or that anybody else's style of sunday that i think that god can use different churches in different ways but that's where we are and the things that we've learned about about this and we don't feel like we've we've lost anything of it it's been a net gain brilliant brilliant thank you very much can we just do one more one more question and then yeah, and yeah. then we'll finish and um this question is can prophets lead church plants or churches effectively as churches are normally led by leaders whose uh, whose primary gift is pastoring or teaching oh yeah absolutely so i've got numbers of Uh, prophet friends who lead churches and and it's the same with it. any gift that leads a church has to get other d gifts around them and and that's the key um i remember as i was first leading a church you know, um first coming to leadership 10 years ago i tried to continually evolve myself to be the person that the person in front of me wanted to be you know so if i was talking to the evangelist i was trying to be more evangelistic or the teacher I was trying to be more studious or the pastor I was trying to care for more people more or uh, the prophet I was trying to hear more from God and um, and the Lord really spoke to me about it because I just felt like it was tearing me apart and God spoke to me and he said Simon be who I've made you to be balance comes from the team mm -hmm. and I realized actually the more I tried to be everybody the more I was leaving uh, the more I was um, uh, taking space that actually should have been filled by somebody else. Actually, that there are other people who should fill that space, that balance comes from the team. That's why God created leadership in team. And, um, and so I think any gift actually can lead a church, but it needs to recognize, it needs to be secure in who it is, uh, the gift that God's given you, and then it needs to bring in others and pray in. And we've prayed in others as well, where we've not had a gift, we've prayed them in. Um, you know, we've got numbers of, of, of teachers, for example, Um, but I haven't got a teacher at the, at the stature of some of the other gifts. So I, I consult with Andrew Wilson all the time. I bring him in, you know, we, he runs theology forum stuff here because I don't have that gift in on staff. So I would bring his gift in. And, you know, when I wrote my book, I sent it to Andrew, read this. When we produced our discipleship material, I'm really, so even where you haven't got a gift, you need to bring those, you can bring those gifts in. I would say to some of the church plants out there, if you haven't got a strong prophetic gift, bring, bring a prophet in, bring one in. Uh, you know, make friends with one, value them, bring them in, because that will help you until you can raise up your own um, from within the church. So I think balance comes from the team, and I would very much say yes, um, they, they can and should. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder that you can find the full notes on everything that Simon had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 68. See you next time.